Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. We have congratulations to hand out, O'Toole. We do? Yes, we do. Well, let's hand them out. Well, the Clooney's had their twins. Uh, oh. <laughs> Tuesday, they welcomed Ella and Alexander Clooney. And the reason I'm even bringing it up is because the announcement was done by, by George Clooney's spokesperson. And she said George is sedated and should recover in a few days. But Ella, Alexander, and Amal are all healthy, happy, and doing fine. Oh, that's funny. See, it's a good thing he played a doctor on TV to prepare himself for that delivery. Well, also, um, <laughs> I mean, wasn't he a pediatrician? I don't. I never saw him on TV. Yeah, on ER, he played yeah, a pediatrician. I never saw ER. He could have stunt delivered their twins. Well, there you go. But the reason I say it is because Amal is like Wonder Woman. <laughs> so somehow, because we're you know going to be reviewing Wonder Woman today, I just felt that it just was a good fit. So congratulations to them. That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a bunch of things to go over, so I'm just going to sneak them in now. Is that a good? Is that good by sneak you? Sneak them in, Hollister. Okay. So one of our listeners, uh, Elizabeth, who's from Westchester, and she had followed our. Um, our recommendation of House of Cards a number of years ago. So she wrote in and asked if we were watching this series, this season five. I am watching it. Are you? Well, I remember when we spoke with the director, Joe Costello, last year, you and he shared a love of House of Cards. Yes, Remember, he wanted to cast something with Robin Wright. Right. I I still need to catch up on House of Cards. (laughs) The American people don't know what's best for them. But, you know, I did start watching it, and you might all remember that every time House of Cards has come on, I have stopped whatever I'm doing and just binged for the 10 hours that I needed to get through it. I I think it's a genius show and everything else. But I've only seen the first four episodes of this uh, season, and I think one of the reasons that Elizabeth was asking is I think she's having a hard time with it, too. She wouldn't tell me in the email what, you know, what she thought of it. She just said, I need to know if you're watching it and what you think. And, you know, the, I've thought a lot about it over the last week. It, it, it launched last Tuesday, the Tuesday after Memorial Day. And I'm finding it really too difficult. It's just too close to what now I believe could actually happen in our country. And before House of Cards was, I don't know if this is possible, but it was realistic, but not believable. So oh, I like that description. Yeah, because okay. I, well, you know, I've thought a lot about it in the last few days after she emailed and asked about it, and I felt that it was perfectly portrayed as if it could happen, but you never really believed that it would happen. And hmm. now it starts off with them um, tampering with the election. You know, this terrible couple in the White House is tampering with the election, and it's just too you know, obviously able to, to turn to reality. I haven't been able to stomach it. So I've sort of pulled away a bit from it and I will make myself finish it because this is the last season, I believe. Haven't they said that before? I think this is the first time they're saying it. I don't know if anybody else is having trouble, but would love to hear from anybody. Um, you know, screen thoughts at gmail.com. I've, I think I'm, I think I've watched four, maybe four. So that's my answer, Elizabeth. I told you I would answer in this week's podcast. You actually kept a campaign promise. <laughs> nice Hollister. What, what was that promise? That you would answer and you did. You must not be a politician. One nation. Underwood. Okay, and then also there's a, a documentary. It's not a documentary. It's a show coming out, and it's going to be on Netflix, and it's called Day's Table, and it's a fake documentary about reviewing food, 
with the great dev and so a fake documentary yes so which not is even a mockumentary like right, it's pretending it's to fake, be a it's documentary totally fake but it but they play it like a documentary which i think again so gotcha. fits like modern in. family well, not only modern. Well, modern family never felt real to me. Did it feel real to you? No, but it was pretending to be a documentary. Anyway, and then also a long, long letter from Janet from New Jersey. Thank you so much, Janet, who pointed out, you know, when we did our blockbuster weekend last week, we didn't do Romeo and Juliet. And that was, I remember that. It was in the 70s, and it was, again, a major blockbuster. And I can't believe I missed it, to tell you the truth. But you know what? It's, I'm so glad she did point that out because it is nice to think that a Shakespearean adaptation can qualify as a blockbuster. Well, it was back then. I mean, you right? know, uh, yeah, uh, every girl who had a boyfriend dragged their boyfriend to it. I really. Mean, romance, yeah. death, it family was, feuds. Yeah. It sounds like a blockbuster. Yeah, I think it was Shakespeare. 1968. Yes, it was, it was a blockbuster. And I had forgotten all about it. I probably would have picked it, actually. People have pointed this out before in the playwriting world that Shakespeare was actually a very cinematic writer. His scenes were very fluid. He would have been the screenplay writer of his day. You know, I'm thinking he was a woman anyway, so I usually refer to him as I a woman. I can't her. say you're wrong. Yeah, do you and that's think why he was I just. Queen Elizabeth? Well, I, um, <laughs> I do refer to him as her because, you know, some people do that with God, I do it with Shakespeare. Interesting. Yeah, thank you. Okay, then she's also recommending something, a BBC series, and we love BBC series, love, love, love. It's mm-hmm. streaming on Netflix, and it's called Shetland. I have heard about this. I've had other friends recommend this. Yeah, we have to take a look at it. For cinematography alone, it's worth it. On a clear day, you can see Norway over that way. You think it's perfect here? Most people here don't lock their doors, and I'd like it to stay that way. Jeremy, everything changes. We just love to hear from our listeners. So seriously, any thoughts you all have, just reach out to us, screenthoughts.net or screenthoughts at gmail.com. And also for sure, if you can, just reconfirm what I tell O'Till we should be watching, because unless you tell her to watch it, she's not going to listen to me. Okay, we got to get to the big one. So Wonder Woman set all kinds of records, Hollister. Yeah. Well, over 100 million in America and over 100 million in Europe. So what a launch. Highest global opening for any female director. And highest domestic as well. So go Patty Jenkins. What's funny about that is up until this, she was considered a risk because even though she had directed Monster, where Charlize Theron won her Oscar, they didn't know that a female director could actually direct a movie that would have such a big box office opening. Everybody's talking about it, and it sort of has become this thing about the female director and that it's, you know, a female superhero. Mm-hmm. And I just go back to that that clip you played a couple of podcasts ago where someone won an award for best actor, but there was it was genderless. Mm-hmm. And when that is not a reason, again, you know, I'm not a lean in, lean up, push up or whatever woman. I'm, I really think that that's not the issue. She just, you know, it's not that she's a woman and directed it. That's not what makes it great. I totally agree. But I think it's really great to have the shout out because we know that playing field is not equal in Hollywood. Women are not getting the director positions as often as men. So when the studio executives know that they can bring in the box office... I think they're more likely to, to level that playing you know, field. I don't think they need us to tell them that it was a woman. I think they know I think they do. No, but I think they need it 
pointed out. I mean, they were shocked with Sex in the City when that did so well. They were shocked that women went to see it at the, you know, in the numbers that they did. The Hurt Locker, she was a woman director, but here's the thing, O'Toole. And they were shocked. Okay, but and it didn't change anything. The When you stop talking about it is when it will change. When it stops being a point of interest, it will change. When people hire people for the very reason that they're the best at what they do, then it will change. But pointing out that, oh, this woman did that, you know, it it just puts more pressure on the gender of your work and less pressure on the actual work itself. So I don't really... I think uh, that, uh, well, I see your point, but I don't think we're there yet. I think the pressure is already there. And I feel like there's momentum right now in Hollywood between Jennifer Lawrence standing up and, um, you know, men standing with women like Bradley Cooper disclosing his salary. And did you just see the list of people who are shortlisted to be on the board of governors for the Oscars? I did. Yeah. I mean, but you know, Including, I, you know how I feel. I don't. I think the Oscars are well. We talk no, way too much I about know them that, anyway. I know you say that, but you also are the one to really mention how you think there's great disparity in the membership roles. And Gina Davis is shortlisted, and I think partly it's due to her work on bringing attention to the gender disparity. No, I would hope that's not why. I would hope that it's, uh, you know, I hope that you don't have to do something big in genderism to be nominated for any board of directors. I don't think you have to do something big in genderism, but I think she did something big, and I'm glad she's being recognized for it. Well, I don't know if that. I, I hope that that's not why they're. I mean, putting she's her on the also board. an Oscar-winning actor and extremely her talented. To recognize her work in gender issues or in film, I hope they're putting her on the board because she'll be a great board member. Absolutely, but I'm glad somebody who is doing air traffic control to the degree that she is would be part of that organization. Yeah, I, I yeah. think it's great. Um, but back to Wonder Woman, who now? So, okay, from a point of view, we have to start with. I don't go to those movies, and you don't either, right? I'm not a superhero franchise I kind know, of person. I know, me neither. Okay, mm-hmm. and I can, I don't even remember which of us said we, we better do this because everyone's talking about it, but I am so glad I went. Are you? I thoroughly enjoyed it. it yeah, I felt like really. I got my money's worth in terms of big screen entertainment. Well, you know, it's so, it's so funny because I just mentioned House of Cards and Robin Wright was somebody who came out a year and a half ago and said she was renegotiating her contract and if she wasn't paid the same amount as he was, she wasn't doing it. Mm-hmm. And so... <laughs> so That's momentum. Oh, well, so they were all like, okay, yeah, you were going to pay the same amount. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it turns out they didn't. And she didn't know. Wow. <laughs> and they oh, said, no. well, he was a producer also. So, and, you know, the whole thing is like such a joke. Do you know what the disparity in pay I was? I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't. It wasn't in the article and I didn't dig any deeper. I was just too irritated by the whole thing to dig any deeper. I thought she was terrific in Wonder Woman. If yeah. you need someone to train a god in the art of war, get Robin Wright. I thought well, she was thoroughly she convincing. Was. And I was so glad that she spent so long training Frank Underwood on that erg in House of Cards. She could really, she's your go-to person personal trainer in the God Kingdom. You're in great shape, and I know with this Wonder Woman movie, you did all kinds of things to get in shape, right? We all did, all us 150 Amazons. Wow, tell, tell everybody what the movie is about. Well, I tr- I'm the general of the Amazonian army, and I'm the aunt of Wonder Woman-to-be, so I train her to be the fiercest warrior of all time. That's impressive. It was amazing. Yeah. Amazing to to have a skill also. I mean, you had to learn the skill of martial arts and the choreographed battle sequences were very 
intense. Yeah. Did you get hurt? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever walk properly again, but. <laughs> but you look at this was movie. really good. Yeah. You know, you're an action figure. I do. All the women on the island were excellent, but here's the thing. So it's a two and a half hour movie, and there, to, as far as I could tell, there are three segments. There's life on the island, you know, and then the short interlude in London, and then the war. Would you agree? That sounds about right. I was thinking of you since you say you never go to movies over two hours. I know. But you made it through. I felt it was. I did, and I thought the first forty-five minutes. If we break those three segments out. I think the first segment was excellent, and I would want every girl between the ages of 8 and 14 to watch those women on the island. I thought they were fabulous. Now, Hollister, here you do divide by gender. I do, yeah. That's, that's not a lean in, lean over, lean out. Uh, no, I'm nothing if not inconsistent. <laughs> okay. No, I, I just like the way the women were portrayed. My audience was packed with men and women. Oh, I, I no, no, no. I think this by appeals the way, 56% to every demographic. Of the first, first weekend, 56% were women. And um, 44% were men who went. So it was very evenly divided. But I don't think they, I don't think the guys went alone. And I think women did, you know. Or... I saw packs of guys in my movie theater. Really? Huh? Sold I out, did not. by the way. Yeah, mine mm-hmm. was sold out and I did not. I saw mothers and kids. And I saw couples. Did you go to a matinee? No, I went, I went actually in the evening, early evening. Okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I thought if you break it out in threes, I thought the first third was better than the second third, was better than the third third. Although I just, you know, when you when you get me into those scenes where they're fighting, I think they should be shorter. I think I've said this in a past podca- podcast. I think they should be 30 seconds or less. I was stunned at how much I enjoyed the fight scenes. It was definitely a triumph of CGI and special effects huh. and the fact that they were all so well-trained, these actors in jiu-jitsu and everything else. It was very crouching tiger, hidden dragon-esque to me, but I thought the fight scenes were great. I enjoyed the second part where there was that juxtaposition of her having been raised on Paradise Island in a women-only world and then being exposed to wartime London where women have no political power. <laughs> But well, when she, says, when she says to the assistant, we were where I come from, they call that slavery. I love that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That actress was great, too. She reminded me of Melissa McCarthy. How can a woman fight in this? Ooh. I have to hand it to Gal Gadot. It's Badat, by the way. Hello, my name is Gal Gadot. I'm obviously Israeli. Gal Gadot. Gadot. Gal Gadot. So who is Gal Gadot? Gal Gadot. 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 Thanks to Gal Gadot. We'll call her Gal. I'm very okay. impressed by her career trajectory. She starts out in Israel as a model. She does her two years of service in the Israeli Defense Forces. She's studying law when she's discovered by casting directors. And I think she's a great actor in terms of the physicality, keeping in mind that some of the reshooting, that was done when she was five months pregnant. They actually had to cut out her her outfit in the middle and put in a green so that they could layer it back in. But you you missed a part, O'Toole. Um, she was Miss Israel um, in the Miss Universe pageant. Yes, and, during her modeling <laughs> years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When she won Miss Israel, she was beside herself with, oh, my God. 
then she got to, to Miss Universe and she didn't want to win it. So she's basically tried to say that she tanked it. But she's very winning on these talk shows and compelling and fun to talk with and and interesting. And she raises one eyebrow and leaves the other one <laughs> standing. And I mean, you can so see why they cast her. She's just absolutely mesmerizing. Okay. No, you're Wonder Woman. I, I was lucky enough to land the role of Wonder Woman. Yes. I mean, do you realize, has it sunken in yet? Because it's, I mean, there's a giant billboard in Times Square that's I bigger know, than I know. I went you. there last night. Did you really? We just got here last night. We went straight to Times Square and it was just Surreal. You looked at that. You I cannot at take it in. It's like me. I'm, I'm from Israel, from this small city, and all of a sudden I'm all over <sighs> Times Square. It's just, it's insane. Because I, I was reading, and I think the, the story I heard is that you were almost considering giving up acting before True. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had so uh, this profession, the rejection. Oh, dude, it's, it's a tough. tough business. So it's a tough. Trust you me. Know. I, yeah, Scott, <laughs> have you seen my movies? Yeah. I, thank you for. Thank you for rubbing it in. You yeah, did yeah, well. did pretty well. Yeah, I ended up. She rides her own motorcycles in in movies. I mean, she's very talented, but I think she's got great comedic delivery. Exactly. I enjoyed her in Keeping Up with the Joneses, where she and John Hamm play the spy couple. I, I didn't see that, but I yeah, but I heard I heard she was good, and she's done a. I think she's done a lot of smaller parts in Israel too, but. Um, Israel, uh, it's just not playing as well in Israel as it is here. By the way, interesting. Is yeah. it because of the antagonist? By the I way, can I, I know, just I ask? Know. It was supposed to be World War One, right? Yes. Although they keep referring to Nazis, which really felt like an anachronism. That felt like it should be World War Two. No, I didn't even notice that. But you're absolutely right. But when she talked about doing this part, um, you know, she did an interview with Glamour, and she said it was important for me that we show how independent she is. She's not relying on a man. And she's not there because of a love story. She's not there to serve someone else. And I thought that was a really interesting statement, but she was there to serve someone else. She was there to serve good. And people, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, so, I mean, I didn't think she was quite accurate in this statement, but I love the idea of her saying she's not there because of a love story. I thought that was just... Oh, that's so marvelous, you Which know? Which is true to the original concept of Wonder Woman because her name is Diana, the goddess of the hunt. And Diana, as far as the gods go, she was one of the three original female gods who pledged they'd never get married. Who is this young woman? She's my... Um, and, um... Diana. Princess of Themyscira. Prince. Diana Prince. I was a little worried when Chris Pine's plane comes crashing and she saves him. And the Nazis, even though it's World War I, come and start bombing the beach and he grabs her hand as if. I mean, as if she needs a man to grab her hand. But throughout the rest of the movie, it was just so clear that she was the superhero. I thought it was really well done. Patty Jenkins said that the Chris part, she layered in from Lois Lane, from Superman. Oh, so Chris Pine is Lois Lane? Yeah. And if you then go back and look at some of the scenes with him, you can totally see it. He was the perfect comic foil. Yeah, he was. Our modern day Captain Kirk. There was mm -hmm. a lot of humor in the movie. What is this place? Who are you people? We are the bridge to a greater understanding. Right. 
What is your mission? Well, here's the thing. Well, when they were on that boat together... And you know, a fantastic and, scene. Oh my God, where she talks about you know, um, well, aren't you going to sleep here? And you know, I mean, she. It was just so perfect, and you just wish you could have, have that scene somewhere with somebody, you know, to make them so disquieted. It was wonderful. And also Lucy Davis, who plays Etta, the Melissa McCarthy esque character. She's a British comedian. She brought a lot of humor. I mean, when they show up in London, and Wonder Woman is leaving the store holding her sword and the shield. Etta. Why don't I meet you back at the office? And meanwhile, I'll take this for safekeeping. Oh, no, I don't think so. You gotta put the sword down, Diana, please. It doesn't go with the outfit. At all. Yeah, there are lots of clever parts. All right, I have two questions because you will probably know this and I did not. Okay, at the beginning, what's her job? When the package arrives for her with the picture of her and her past in it, mm-hmm. it, it does she, is she working at the Louvre? Who is she? I don't get it. She was working at the Louvre. She's, you know, I but won't give away who she's she... emailing. Yeah, but well, I, this is I... what I would like to know. Okay. The movie opens, and they immediately flash back to her as a girl. Diana. Fighting does not make you a hero. What if I promise to be careful? So she gets trained by Robin Wright, who, again, manages to wear fur and leather and headdresses without any sense of irony. That alone is just amazing acting. And then she gets to this model age, and she just stops aging. <laughs> you know, then she just stays that age for eternity. That's another superpower. I wouldn't mind having that one. We don't know. We don't know how long a period. That could have been just a year. She was walked into the Louvre with I am Pay's entrance outside in modern oh, day clothing true. with the yeah. high heels, and yeah. then we go back to World War One. So she hasn't aged a bit. I thought there were a couple things like that that I just didn't get. Do you know what I mean? Like. You know, like, could you wrap that up a little better for me? And was he the bad guy? Was he her brother or her father? Or who who the heck was he? I'm glad that you were a little confused over this, too, because that whole discussion of the brother and Aries, it, it almost felt like Chinatown. She said, like it's she your calls mother, him her brother sister. at the end. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that? And I then did I thought, hear that. I did not hear that established. I, I felt that there were a couple of things that they needed to clean up a little bit. But also, the other thing that was disappointing to me is the director, after this amazing weekend, you know what she tweeted? No. Holy moly, amazing. And that upset you because why? Uh, you know, I just think maybe she could be more articulate. I think that's comic book speak. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> she knows how to pay homage you know, to the I'm DC such a, franchise. Okay, I didn't I didn't get that, you know. I, I just thought I thought that's the best you can well maybe now that makes better sense and I like it better. That's why she already has a job directing the sequel and yeah. why Wonder Woman will be in Justice League, you know, as will Connie Nielsen, the Danish actress who played her mother, who we know from Gladiator. But Hollister, did you ever read the book? It came out a couple years ago by Jill Lepore called The Secret History of Wonder Woman. No. <laughs> nor, nor, by the way, if that was the only book in a bookstore, would I have bought it? <laughs> well, guess what? Now you don't have to read it because I'm going to tell you a couple facts from this book that I find fascinating. All okay. about the man who created Wonder Woman, even though it was his wife's idea. Okay, his name was William Moulton Marston. And guess where he went to college? No idea. Okay. If you think about where he went to college and what he majored in, he shares one with me and one with you. Well, he didn't go to the University of Nebraska. So he went to Harvard. He was the class of 1915. One of the things he was so inspired by in college were the early suffragists. And that's why when his wife finally convinced him to do a female superhero, he thought about the suffragists. And guess what he majored in? 
I have no idea. This is what you have in common with him. I don't know. What What did he major in? Didn't you major in psychology? I did, yeah. <laughs> that well, was psychology and business. I had a double major, yeah. But Hollywood went to Harvard to recruit psych majors because movies were getting big and they figured psych majors would know how to emotionally manipulate an audience, which well, I find I, fascinating. You know, by the way, I, I tell everyone that I think my value added in marketing is my psychology degree. <laughs> I do. I feel like it gives me an understanding that other people don't necessarily have. It's huge. So William Moulton Marston, he started teaching. He fell in love with one of his students, but he was already married. So this former student of his, Olive Byrne, was the niece of Margaret Sanger. This book, really, I find fascinating. He told his wife, I'm going to leave you for her, or we can all live together. So they lived together <laughs> as a little trio. Maybe Warren Buffett met him. <laughs> Well, the first wife said, maybe this isn't so bad, because if you have another wife, this frees me up to work outside the home. But it was the second wife, her jewelry inspired Wonder Woman's bracelets. So I guess Miss Olive, she wore some pretty clunky cuffs. But this is what I find interesting. William Moulton Marston, the creator of Wonder Woman, he was also the inventor of the lie detector. So when he gave Wonder Woman her lasso... Did you notice was, that they, they only used it on men? Well, I mean, why would they need to use it on women? <laughs> Although, <laughs> Dr. Poison was a woman. One last fact about William Moulton Marston. He was also really into bondage. That's why Wonder Woman in the comics was always tying people up. So his editor back then, the character debuted in 1941, they had to chastise him every now and then and say, William, you got to cut back on the bondage because we're getting letters from readers who are picking up on this. Mm. But the movie, I thought they did an amazing job with her accessories. The Wait, lasso, no, what, the, the cuffs, the, the shield. The devil lady with the Hannibal Lecter mask? What, what was yes. her name? Dr. Poison. Okay, Dr. Poison, she had a PhD in physics. I want to give it to her. Oh, and she kind of had You know, the she Phantom was not a dumb girl. Mask. Like, I just like that, you know? All right, now, did you have a favorite line? Come on, there were a million favorite lines. Do you have one? Well, every line in the boat I thought was great. Yeah, really good. So I'm going to just take that whole scene, but what was your favorite okay. line? Oh, funny you should ask. <laughs> it's always amazing to me that you think to ask me too. Okay. Okay, so, you know, she's on the Wonder Woman's Island, which really was part of my favorite. It was so f fantastical, but still believable, you know? Again, it was sort of fantasy, but, you know, I, maybe there's a place that looks like that. But anyway. I think it would be France or Italy where it was filmed. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe they borrowed George Clooney's house since exactly, he was in the hospital. Right. <laughs> one of the people um, on the island, one of the women says to her, you expect a battle to be fair. A battle will never be fair. I love, I love that line because it's true. A battle is never truly equal or fair. And then when her mother says to her, be careful of mankind, Diana. I do not deserve you. You've told I thought that was a really good life lesson. <laughs> I did. Her blonde mother who molded her out of clay. I know. Be careful. And I, and I wished I'd said it to my daughter when she went off to college and when she went to law school. I would have loved to have said, every time she went somewhere important, I would love to have say, said to her, be careful in the world of men. <laughs> I just think it was so clever. I just really, really liked it. I know it's terrible that I liked it, but I did. You know, you know I don't want to overstate this, but I felt like watching this movie, it made me want to embrace my own inner Wonder Woman. I think she's yep. buried down deep. I'm going, Mother. 
if you choose to leave, you may never return. Who will I be if I stay? It made you want to own your strengths. And I could say, I think I left the theater with my head a little higher and my Uh shoulders a little further back. Uh And I'm going to have to talk to that costume director and see if I might be able to get myself It's funny because sometimes when, you know, sometimes we, um, we tape our podcast late at night or, you know, after a long day or... You know, on a weekend, and sometimes it's like, "Hi, are you here?" <laughs> you <know? laughs> and then O'Toole always say, "Okay, do your power pose," and you stand up and you throw your arms out in this power pose, and then you have all this energy when you sit down. And I always tell her if we're if we're taping from separate places, I say, "Oh yeah, I did it," but I don't usually do it. But but now I'm going to do it because that power pose, everyone's getting, you see all the stars that went to the movie, all these women are taking pictures with, you know, their hands crossed in front of them and the Wonder Woman power pose. And I I got up this morning and did it. I just want you to know. That's awesome. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's one of the most popular TED Talks ever. So Google TED Talk power pose and you can see a demo. And I think we leave it there, my friend. What do you think? I just have one last question for you. Patty Jenkins, our director of Wonder Woman. She also directed a pilot of a TV show that you did a written review of on our site, starring Marie Enos. Well, since I have, you know, the short-term memory of a flea, what (laughs) what might that have been? The Killing. Oh, great. Yeah, good for her. She's got quite the future. Well, well, also, you know, the other thing, though, that she said, which, you know, we should probably stick in here, is in most superhero movies, there's always a teaser at the end of the movie for what will mm-hmm. come next. And she refused to do it. She said, this is a story beginning, middle, and end. And I don't, I'm not putting a teaser in. Not that there won't be a sequel, but she said, I don't want to do that. And so, and I like that about her too. It's sort of like, I'm not setting myself up for, you know, future success on that. I really, I liked that a lot. Also, interestingly enough, one of the reasons they took the chance, O'Toole, was not because they're giving women superheroes and directors a chance, but because Agent Carter has done so well on in the TV show, it's one of the most popular TV shows ever, ever, ever. Um, that's one of the reasons they decided to do it. They figured if Agent Carter could work, then so might a su- superhero on the screen, the big screen. So... Mm-hmm. Well, when you think about the budgets of these films, I do see how Hollywood can be a little risk averse. Yeah, where they yeah. want something with a built-in fan base, and hence the superhero franchises. Yeah. Um, okay, so our list of six. You go ahead. Lead us off with what it is, etc. Okay. Well, in honor of Wonder Woman, we decided to do the six best TV to big screen adaptations because oh. Wonder Woman has previously only appeared on TV, the 70s show with Linda Carter. Well, and, you know, I, I just have to believe we probably have some of the same things because I was hard-pressed to find six. I don't know about you. Another movie from an old TV show. Uh, what are you going to do? Well, I figured I could already name two of your three because you mentioned them in last week's list of six and the list of six before that. That's so funny that you say that because I was going to say one of the ones you listed, Fugitive. I figured you would probably name that one. So well, I, I gave I'm not it to going you. to name that one, but I'm you're gonna... not going to name. Well, I can't name it because I never saw the original TV show. Okay, actually, I will name it, and it was on my list, The Fugitive. Okay. but it was something you actually came up with. But the first one I want to start off with is Charlie's Angels, which I think is probably, in my mind, um, Charlie's Angels ran in the '70s. And then they did the movie. Drew Barrymore brought the movie in. I think in the nineties. It was and actually so, two thousand. 
because was it 2000? Yeah. Were it's you on do my that? list. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. We had to have, but what's interesting to me about that is it's an entire generation away from the TV show. Then they brought in the movie and it did as well as the TV show. And I thought that was sort of cool about Charlie's Angels. Good morning, Angels. Good morning, Charlie. And the sequel did really well at the box office, the one with Demi Moore in yep. 2003. It did. It, it was a good blend of genres between action and comedy. Yep. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Those three stars worked very well together. Okay, can I guess your next one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sex in the City? Well, yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, I was going to mention it last, kind what? of like the canons what? in the 1812 Overture. But yeah, the first one, just to be clear, not the second movie where they go to oh, Abu God, Dhabi. It was such a terrible feminist movie. How can you oh, bring that Oh, now you're going to be a today? feminist again. I oh, thought, you know, God. 10 years after the show first premiered on HBO in 1998, yeah. the movie came out. And again, it stunned Hollywood, which stunned me that it stunned Hollywood because the HBO series was so popular. But I give it to the writers because they had to reopen what had been wrapped naturally after a long run on television and still make it a standalone gift. So I remember being in New York City when tickets went on sale at 12.01 a.m. and the lines were around Did you go? Is that when you went? Of course. Oh my gosh. And I enjoyed it. I did. I did too. I enjoyed it too, but it was not a good movie. And I, I think the wasn't first it a one. different writer? Wasn't it? A, I, I can't remember. Nope. But there was a, no. Was it the same writer? Was it a different Michael director? Michael Patrick King, okay, same director, same oh, person. Oh. Um, okay, I knew you would do Sex in the City, but I'm going to end mine with Star Trek because Star Trek was a TV show that became one of the greatest movies of all time in terms of blockbusters, right? Yeah, with Chris Pine playing Captain Kirk. You know, you're absolutely right and I, you know, I have to give it because Star Trek again, a generation between was really really amazing, really really amazing. So, and you know, Leonard Nimoy was from Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he does the voiceover at the IMAX theater. If anyone's ever in Cambridge and you need a little Spock, there there you you go. go. The Vulcan greeting is a wonderful sentiment. Live long and prosper. I said to the director, I think we should have some kind of a special greeting. Asian people bow to each other. Military people salute each other. I think Vulcans should have some kind of a greeting. And he said, what would you like to do? And I said, how about this? Where it came from was from my childhood, uh, going to synagogue on the high holidays with my family. There's a moment where a group of men get up before the congregation, cover their heads with their prayer shawls, chant a prayer. My father said, don't look. I'm about eight or nine years old, so I stuck a peek. And what I saw were these gentlemen out there who were doing the shouting had their hands out towards the congregation like that, both hands. I found out later this is the shape of the letter Shin in the Hebrew alphabet. The letter Shin is the first letter in the word Shaddai, the name of God. Well, I survived. I peaked and I survived. But I was so intrigued with that gesture, and I suggested that we do that as Vulcans. Within days after that episode was on the air, I started getting that gesture back on the streets. Live long and prosper. Do you have a last one? I do have a last one. I know it's not on your list, but this is a shout out to our listener, Lalu. I'm going with the X-Files. I knew you were going to do that. The 1998 version. Another long movie, two hours and one minute. So twice as long, even longer, really, because they had commercials back then. 
as a typical episode. So that's a challenge, too, where you've got to lengthen the story arc, again, make it a standalone piece, feel complete, be true to the series. And I thought they did a really good job. I thought Mulder and Scully transitioned well to the big screen from the very small screen back then, where, you know, it was on slow drip and... People didn't yet have such enormous TVs. And I'm going to sneak in a little message to Lalo. Lalo and I are kindred spirits. She feels about Hannibal and Jodie Foster the way I do. But she is deeply, deeply, deeply disappointed in me that I have not been able to find in the X-Files what she found in it. So I asked her to suggest five episodes for me to watch because I watched the first three or something in the original um, first series. And... I've I've watched two of them and she might be right. Like I might've missed it. You know, I might not have stayed long enough at the party to really understand who was there and how cool they are. So, um, so Lalo, I'm almost there, but I've had so much I've had to watch that I haven't been able to do it. So now in terms of your X-File training wheels, uh did Lalo recommend the episode where Jodie Foster plays the voice inside that guy's head? I don't think so. I haven't seen, if she did, I haven't seen that yet. So I think that would be a good one for you to watch. You well, know, now you're going to add another one. I have six. This is from the girl who is what in, in season one of uh, season one of House yes, of Cards. No. Six episodes on your scale. You get it done by lunch. Okay. Well, we'll see. Yeah, that's true. Okay, and then I need to end with the ending of The Americans. Was uh, this the this season finished? Oh, yes. And it just finished last week. And I know a lot of our listeners watch it, and we did an original podcast of it that we'll sort of put up on social media because there's going to be one more season and it ended last week, but you know, it's such a nuanced show, you know, but this season they made, um, Holly Taylor who plays Paige. She has an equal role to both Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese. And, I think it's a mistake. I think it's sort of, you know, you wouldn't have taken a junior in high school and told her you were a spy and start to teach her moves, you know, like (laughs) I just, you know, to me, no parents would do that. And no matter where they came from. And so making, you know, and and also she's just so unusual. She's sort of like an alien creature. You know, she, she takes everything sort of in stride, but says she's a little depressed. And I mean, she just didn't, doesn't work, but the subplots are still amazingly good. And they bring in this season, this young man they're working with, who I think is from Vietnam or somewhere, somewhere in Asia. And they're working with him and his complexity of spirit and commitment and damage from his history is so strong that you really need to watch it just for that alone. It's a really, really good season. And the next season's the last season. And I'm going to predict that they're going to go back to Russia. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's what I predict. Hmm. You know, all the, all the shows are pretty much over now, right? For this season. Do we even have seasons anymore? It seems like something's always starting and stopping and dropping. and. You know, for every time, there is a season. You Zen master. <laughs> now, did, thank you, um, thank you did for you... saying that to me. <laughs> Especially because if anybody's a Zen master, it's you. It's not me. I don't think so. So, Hollister, <laughs> guess what opens this week nationwide? The hero? That's right, with Sam Elliott in a fabulous role. Lone Star Barbecue Sauce. The perfect partner. For your chicken. That was great, Lee. Can you do one more? 
I saw this at the River Run International Film Festival. And what was so great about it is I saw it at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, the first state-supported School of the Arts in the U.S. where many of the festival screenings took place. The writer-slash-director-slash-editor was in attendance, Brett Haley. He's an alum of the school. He met his cinematographer Hmm. in that room when he was 18 years old. He has made a movie a year since he was 16. for him, right? He also wrote and directed I'll See You in My Dreams. You don't need all that. It's right the way you are. Is there any karaoke around tonight? Growing old was the furthest thing from my mind. You've had a great life, Mom. You had a great husband and a career in music. It's all in the past tense. You're the best of what I have, you and Dad. I want to have lunch with you. What's your name? Yes. Your name is Yes? Carol. I'm Bill. And I'm sure you remember me talking about this movie because when I watched it, I thought, oh, Blythe Danner, Sam Elliott, the cover looks like this great love story. Don't get too attached to Sam Elliott if you haven't seen the movie because he gets killed off pretty quickly. Oh, I mean, it's I just, it's a stunner. That, yeah. I know. Well, I think you really need to be prepared for that. Okay. So I think Brett Haley probably felt so badly about that, that he wrote this role for Sam Elliott, they became very close when he shot I'll See You in My Dreams. And what's interesting about it is that Brett Haley says he loves to write parts for great actors who never really get to be the lead. So he said Blythe Danner rarely gets to be the lead, so he wrote I'll See You in My Dreams for her. And then he wrote The Hero for Sam Elliott, who has often been typecast as the cowboy, which is kind of... The role he plays in the movie, he's an aging actor who had a huge hit playing a cowboy years before. Have you ever heard of the Western Appreciation Guild? They want to give you a Lifetime Achievement Award. Lifetime, huh? Anything else? A job offer? A script? Not at the moment. And it also stars Nick Offerman. And I remember last year, maybe even the year before, when you and I reviewed A Walk in the Woods, you said somebody should really give Nick Offerman a leading part. And they did. Brett Haley did. So that's going to be his next movie is going to star Nick Offerman. But this is just one more piece of evidence to what Brett Haley's saying about the lack of roles for some of these actors who are so good. Sam Elliott's real-life wife, Catherine Ross, iconic in her own right from... Um, Oh my gosh, from so many things. Yep, from The Graduate. And they were both in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That was Sam Elliott's first movie role, but they didn't meet on set. She plays his ex-wife, in the hero. She had not been offered a part in 10 years. Huh. So Brett Haley <laughs> stepped forward <laughs> and said, do you want to be in my movie? He shot this in 18 days. And once again, if you've got great actors, a tight script, you can turn out a great product. Lee, Charlotte, Charlotte Lee. Hey, you're staring at me. I like trying to figure people out. So what'd you figure out about me? Not a thing. Laura Prepon is also in it, who I know you've reviewed in Orange is the New Black. Now, is, is, um, is it getting national distribution? Yeah, it was snatched up at Sundance within hours. And this is just one last thing that I thought was very interesting. 
Brett Haley said that he's a feminist, and so he said he felt really bad casting a man, although it was Sam Elliott and his love letter to Sam Elliott, because he wanted to show the world that he's more than a hat and a mustache. (laughs) Mr. Hayden, I am such a huge fan. I just love your mustache. It loves you, too. But he said especially because one of the plot points is a May-December romance between Laura Prepon and Sam Elliott. And I know our listener Val has asked us about that on Facebook. I think it worked. The way he handled it in the movie, it made it a super interesting plot point. Down in the way. How old are you? How old are you? 71. Why do you want to know how old I am? Because this seems a little odd. If you've got a problem with it, I'll go. So it's hard to tell. Kristen Ritter is also in it from, she was Lucy on Gilmore Girls. She was in Big Eyes, Jessica Jones. He got great actors. There you go. And Hollister, guess what Sam Elliott is going to be seen in next? The remake of A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. And this is going to be Bradley Cooper's directorial debut. Oh. I know. Very exciting. Wow. Jane Fonda has spoken so highly of Sam Elliott on Grace and Frankie. And I never saw this movie, but I'm wondering if you did, Hollister, because I thought this could be our blast from the past film for this week. Sam Elliott's famous role, Lifeguard, from 1976. I did not. You never saw it either? Nope. Should okay. We, should, we, should we do it? Blast I, from the past? I, I think I'm definitely going to watch it. Okay. Well, there you go. Right? Mm-hmm. So rush out to your theater to see it. And maybe I will, too, if I can. And when you do see it, Sam Elliott told Brett Haley he wants the world to know he doesn't really smoke pot. Okay. It's very, it's very important to him that well, you know, people know that. he's yes. actually acting. Okay, well, and we'll, we'll remember that for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> okay, so I'll talk with you next week, Miss O'Toole. 